Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today is Wednesday, July the 17th, and I'm your host, Shannon Jones. Today's Industry Focus Healthcare show is all about a company called Health Equity, a company truly transforming the way we save and pay for healthcare expenses. I mean, this company has really, truly taken the world by storm. We've covered it a few times on the show, and now it's even garnered the attention of Motley Fool co-founder and CEO Tom Gardner. Tom and I recently had the chance to sit down with Health Equity CEO John Kessler to talk about the company, how they're positioned to help fix our broken healthcare system, and the rationale of that wage works acquisition. So sit back, take a listen, and hope you enjoy. John Kessler from Health Equity, thank you so much for joining us. And I think I'd just like to start at a very high level by hearing from you what you think of our healthcare system overall. This is a very unfair question to start with, but what you think, what's wrong with it, and what Health Equity is doing to try and um, f- uh, fix an aspect of, of, uh, of, a, of a, a system that uh, a lot of people think needs repair? Well, Let's take the unusual tact of starting and saying what's right with it. Great. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's important to understand what we're trying to protect in the healthcare system, and and what we're trying to protect is uh, uh, the level of innovation that's generated by the U.S. healthcare system, and mm. um, um, and and the miracles that it does in fact perform. If you are anywhere in the world and you are truly sick, uh, um, then this is the place you want to be. Mm. Um, what our system doesn't deliver well for is the average consumer, and um, uh, it doesn't deliver well in a number of respects. Uh, it's uh, um, uh, the costs are material, obviously. Hmm. Um, consumers are not empowered uh, to understand the costs or what's actually happening, and the evidence is that a consumer or an individual that's not empowered as a patient or as a consumer is also typically not empowered as a patient. That is to say, they are less likely to um, you know, follow their, their doctor's instructions. They're less likely to do the difficult things that are often required to heal uh, and, and, and less likely to do the st- things that, that we all know are out there to stay healthy. And so you know, we see uh, uh, you know, fundamentally um, um, what, we're, what we're trying to do as a company and our vision as an organization is that uh, um, – Planning around healthcare and the consumer aspects of healthcare uh, should be as important to American families as is their retirement planning. Hmm. And um, uh, we think if that's true, you, you really get two advantages for individuals. Of course, it puts them in a better position, uh, greater security, likely more effective care. But then, secondly, it has benefits for the system as a whole because um, consumers with knowledge and power and uh, um, and that are prepared to use it can do very good things for uh, any any economic system and certainly for our healthcare system. And could you speak almost like a um, a sales pitch to our uh, listeners who um, perhaps could be customers of Health Equity? Um, how would they become a customer, and what would they get for it? It's a funny way to ask the question. It shouldn't be, but um, but it is. Uh, so, at Health Equity, we are about connecting your health and your wealth. And uh, the way we do that, uh, the mechanism through which we do that, is a health savings account. A health savings account paired with an HSA compatible po- 
health insurance policy is going to be, uh, first of all, typically your lowest cost in terms of premium, and it is going to be the highest return to you in terms of uh, um, uh, your ultimate long ability to pay for health care today and, and what you pay for health care today and ultimately what you pay for health care for life. So if you want to get control of health care and feel like this is something that you, know, you, you can, uh, in the same way that I suspect many of your readers uh, like the fact that they are in control of their financial plan, this is the way to do it. One of the things, one of the great innovations in maybe the greatest innovation in the last 50 years in the financial markets is the creation of the index fund. Um, yep. What is the index fund equivalent in the world of healthcare? Boy, I wish I wish we could do that well. Uh, um, in the sense that the the index fund has largely wiped out uh, uh, for the average consumer uh, a lot of unnecessary cost and complexity in investing, and, and I think you know made investing accessible. But if I look at uh, uh, the, the the health savings account, it has a lot of the same attributes. In that first. Um, it eliminates. It, it sort of eliminates middlemen. It it creates more connectivity between the consumer and the ultimate product that they are, are trying to consume, which is is uh, a, a you know healthy lifestyle, etc. Um, uh, it provides the consumer with more information, but most but more, most importantly, the information that's actually relevant, right? Um, and 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 um, lastly, it it does this in a way that. Um, uh, still leaves that doesn't leave the consumer without expertise. An index fund is not, as you well know, an index fund is not you know do it yourself, have fun. Here's a thousand choices. An index fund is basically we know diversification is right for you. We're going to make that part easy so you can focus on what's most important to you, which is uh, understanding how your what your you know your asset class allocation is and matching that to your risk appetite. And HSA is somewhat similar. Right in that, uh, um, what an HSA and a qualified policy provide, they provide protection from real insurable events that allow you to focus on the things you can control, which is your health, the cost of your care, where you get care, and uh, uh, how you heal when you get sick. And um, uh, you know that's a pretty valuable thing. And then, and then, where I think the real commonality is is that ultimately both of these products within their respective industries have the potential to significantly reduce the inefficiencies in the overall system, right? Index funds do that by exposing circumstances where um, the, the cost of active management is not worth the benefit. There's nothing wrong with active management as long as you're getting benefits for it, right? What an HSA does is it exposes the circumstance where the cost of sort of Price fixed insurance, that is to say, I'll just give you, write you a check and see what happens, right, isn't worth the benefit. And the result in both cases is lower total costs. And you see that every day, and we see it every day, in the, the results that our uh, uh, partners on the employer side get that are ultimately passed on to consumers in the forms of you know, lower premiums in their paychecks and so forth. Great. And uh, Shannon Jones here. Um, we have member questions that I want to make sure we can 
have addressed and answered. Um, Of course, as you know, we're in the throes of a presidential election cycle. You have a lot of candidates right now uh, campaigning on platforms with a single payer uh, system like Medicare for all. So one of our members, Brock, asked about this and he specifically wants to know, do you see Medicare for all or some sort of single payer system having a detrimental impact to health equity? And then how do you adapt if you see that on the horizon as well? Yeah, it's a really important question, and I think it's it's important that we um, uh, uh, let, let me start by uh, talking a little bit about the history of of the health savings account and the health savings account concept because I think it's relevant to answering this question. Um, health savings accounts uh, began as a, a, a pilot program called medical savings accounts, yet another acronym, and uh, uh, which uh, came into being as the result of bipartisan legislation uh, sponsored uh, principally by Tom Daschle. Um, it, it, as, a, as a pure coincidence, it happens to be the case that Tom Daschle is the one and only politician for whom I have ever phone banked as a college student back at the time, and, or I guess a graduate student. And um, uh, uh, so uh, this started as an idea that was very bipartisan. And the basic idea was that by giving consumers the tools to have skin in the game and, uh, uh, and and a reason to do so, you could create an environment where consumers would take a long-term view of their health and where they would be a valuable input into what else you were doing as part of the healthcare system. That idea exists today, and it exists whether the system as a whole is a private system, a multi-payer private system, or a single-payer public system. That is to say, in whatever system we operate, What's been proven what's been proven to both Democrats and Republicans is that the consumer plays a valuable role in making that system work and and, and I would say an essential role in making that system work so um, as an example right if I look at uh, 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 the policies that uh, came in have come into being under the ACA exchanges you know, many of these policies are HSA qualified plans and even those that are not contain significant amounts of consumer responsibility. And why is that? One, it keeps premiums themselves low, right? And two, it allows consumers to play a role in helping control costs, which is essential. And so, you know, that's a case where notwithstanding the fact that the ACA uh, marketplaces are obviously heavily government-oriented, right, that, that the consumer plays a significant role and products like this do play a significant role. Um, if you extend that point to a single-payer environment um, and look internationally, there are a number of very successful single-payer systems internationally in which products uh, identical to our health savings accounts exist. And, um, and that's, again, because of, I think, ultimately the same recognition that for any system to work, the consumer has to be part of the equation of determining you know, of, of providing signals to the marketplace about what care is needed, what care isn't needed, etc. The consumer never will be the entire system hmm. um, because you get, you know, very quickly, frankly, into circumstances where at, 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 a, at an acute level where the consumer is no longer able or willing to make decisions. But uh, um, for day-to-day care and uh, the regular things that happen, as well as for, you know, accumulating the funds that help determine what you know, care will be incurred in retirement, the consumer's role is essential, and I think that's true in any system. Our job as a company, and we take this role very seriously, and we've talked about it 
including in our, our earnings calls, is uh, uh, to help make sure that policymakers on all sides of the aisle really understand the role that the consumer does play and where the consumer is challenged and where the consumer really can be effective. So, for example, right now, one of the few areas of bipartisan cooperation that you're seeing is around surprise medical bills. And surprise medical bills are an area where the consumer is genuinely challenged. It's not the financial component of the surprise bill. It's the fact that it, that the consumer's interface with the system is such that that uh, um, the consumer could have no way to have known that the bill would be incurred. That's a great example where um, whether you're in a public system or a private system, right? You know, if you if you want the consumer to be involved, you have to think about uh, how to eliminate those kinds of situations. It's it's not the financial responsibility. It's that you don't get consumer empowerment if it's all a surprise after the decisions have been made. Hmm. And so I'm fairly confident. Uh, at some level, that uh, wherever our healthcare system goes over the course of the next two, five, 10, 20 years, that policymakers on both sides, while they obviously have different objectives and so forth, are of the view that consumers with, with the financial acumen and ability to play a role and add value to the system you know, will be allowed to do so. And our job as a company is is to be part of that and to continue to adapt our product set and you know, at some level to prove that consumers can do this. Because they can't. I want to go back to the comparison of the HSA to the index fund. Um, having gotten to know Jack Bogle over the years, he would say he would tell me things like, "Tom, I've been saying the same thing, just in different ways, for the last couple decades." And looking at Vanguard and the tipping points that caused the marketplace to realize this is a very elegant solution that simplifies, lowers costs. And he was knocking on, trying to knock that door down for a very, very long time. And then, you know, I think some of it surrounds the um, arrival of the Internet, the opportunity to popularize these ideas and get the conversations out from just with a potentially conflicted financial professional who wouldn't want to sell such a low-cost, effective, tax-efficient vehicle to getting that message and concept socialized and popularized on a on the platform of the internet. So today Vanguard has more than five trillion dollars under management. It's one of the largest money management companies in the world and way way larger than Jack envisioned when he started the company. So yes. where are you in the progression of that? What and what do you think are some of the tipping point moments that you've maybe already hit and that might be out on the horizon that are indicators that you're breaking through? I, I think we're, uh, frankly, uh, still uh, with uh, Jack knocking on doors and trying to explain to people why he uh, uh, would abandon the cushy job at Wellington and so forth. Hmm. Um, uh, hmm. um, uh, it, that is to say, and, and, and in the following ways, it is fair to say that the, the, large, the large economic forces, whether they be uh, uh, government-oriented or, uh, or in private industry and healthcare, right, are are still largely aligned in a way that at best is tolerant of the consumer and at worst uh, is fearful of the consumer. And um, so I think uh, you're, you're still at a place, you know, if I look at the broad system, where um, if, if most actors in the system sort of had their druthers, you know, their view would be, no, 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 consumers really won't get this. And um, 
look, it would all be better if they would just behave and do what we told them to. And um, uh, um, and and implicit in that, and I, I I believe that most people involved in healthcare have a social mission, but nonetheless they all have to you know pay the bills and sometimes more than that. And so implicit in that is, and we should be paid to do that. And so I suppose the analog would be they you know we're still at the place where you're nuts. They need our advice, and without our advice, it, and, and it's impossible to imagine a world where markets could sort out all the complexities that we experts understand. <laughs> And so you see that, for example, in um, uh, 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 circumstances where um, uh, uh, I mean, you, you, I think you see that most clearly, frankly, in at some level, even even down into the HR departments of employers themselves, and you know, almost 200 million of us will get insurance through work, and so we kind of rely on people departments to be our guides and, and in many respects, you know, to act in our best interest, and they genuinely try to do that. But um, uh, they, they, too, look at it and say, hey, I'm not sh- I, I, need to, I need to plan for the consumer who's least prepared, and so I'm going to treat everyone that way, and the result of treating everyone that way is, is that, um, uh, um, uh, that, that people aren't given the, always given the information they need and they, or, or the flexibility they need to make the right decisions. So I think – I want to get to your question about tipping points. I think um, that um, one tipping point that we have reached that's very important is um, we've gotten to a place where now um, uh, uh, more than – uh, you know, r- roughly speaking, more than a quarter of Americans are in these products. And so they are big enough that they, they cannot be ignored. In other words, you, you have a, a circumstance where it's not dissimilar to that. You got to a place where you know, Fidelity was going to offer index funds, whether they were the best index funds, whether they were the lowest priced or what have you. Hmm. you know, the, they had to be on the menu. Hmm. And I think we really have reached that point where hmm. uh, employers recognize, health plans recognize that there's enough demand out there for these products that they must be on the menu. You know, we're now at a place where more than 50% of large employers offer HSA plans as one choice, right? Um, that number is still a little lower among smaller groups, but it grows every year. And I, I think it will not be long before um, uh, uh, the vast majority of employers are offering these products and, uh, the, and the vast majority, if not all, insurance carriers are offering them at the, in the individual market. So, you know, that's a first step uh, um, and, and, and not dissimilar to the journey that, that you know, Jack and, and the team went through. It, it's a humbling, it's a genuinely humbling comparison mm-hmm. because, I, I mean, obviously Vanguard is a close partner of ours and um, we, we are of like mind. And every time I, you know, drive uh, up to the facility, I'm kind of, you know, reminded that, that you know, these people have saved, you know, there are people who have saved thousands and thousands of their hard-earned dollars that will never know these people exist, but this is how it happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so it's, it's a genuine, I, I, I don't want to be um, in any way um, arrogant about embracing the comparison, but it certainly makes me smile in the sense that it is the journey that we're on. And it is, as you said, back to your initial comment about the, the long-term nature of, of what the company is doing in the investment. I mean, this is why we came public. We came public because we recognized that this was a 10, 20, 30-year problem, not a problem that was going to be solved in two years. And so we needed to be operating in a structure that would allow us to do that. 
And we felt like, uh, um, you know, that was our decision. It's a different one than the one that, that, that you know, uh, Jack Bogle made, obviously. But, but our decision was, you know, this was the essential structure for us to be able to kind of walk this path over the course of a long period of time. And that's what we're doing. Great. I'd, I'd love to ask more about this proposal for WageWorks. Um, this is a pretty large acquisition right now, about half the size of health equity's market cap. Can you just talk a little bit about a cultural fit, but also scale across more counts and maybe some of the integration opportunities and challenges that you see should this go through? Yeah, um, I, I do want to be thoughtful in the sense that I, <laughs> I don't want to comment further on uh, our proposal or on their response or what have you. Um, um, I will comment briefly on our rationale. Uh, is that fair enough? Definitely. Um, you know, our thinking here is, is, let me say this, this transaction from our perspective is all about the journey that I described in the answer to the last question. Um, uh, we uh, came to the conclusion that um, uh, one way in which we can help individuals as well as employers who are also on this journey um, was by uh, 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 being able to offer, uh, um, uh, 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 you know, beyond our HSA, being able to offer incremental products that have a lot of the same attributes and that are often viewed as transitional products into the HSA. So um, uh, uh, WageWorks is a leading provider of uh, uh, what are referred to as consumer-directed benefits, or CDBs. The one that people probably know the best is a, a healthcare flexible spending account, or FSA, an FSA is, in some sense, like an HSA in that it's like a starter HSA, let's call it that, in that it has training wheels that can be very frustrating to consumers. Um, uh, you have to submit the receipts to make sure that it's a medical expense. Um, you can only, it, It's really only a one-year product, not a lifetime savings product. There isn't an investment component, et cetera. Um, but it's the same in that um, it is about ultimately about paying for your health care as tax efficiently as possible and um, uh, hopefully providing you the incentive and tools to pay attention to those health bills. And as you do so, not only learn more about what it costs, but also, you know, that translates back into paying attention to what your doctor's asking you to do, asking your doctor questions about procedures, that kind of thing. And we felt like uh, we could get farther, faster, deeper along this journey by uh, having uh, uh, an upgraded suite of products along those lines. And that's really what WageWorks is about. Um, uh, and so our, our rationale ultimately is to get farther, faster in the HSA journey. And we feel like uh, uh, being able to touch more consumers who are, are, are sort of earlier in that journey uh, is helpful in that regard, and also work with employers who are earlier in that journey is helpful in that regard. Um, the second, well, I guess I'll stop there and say mm -hmm. that's really our rationale for mm -hmm. the or for the proposal, mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and and see what else you'd like to ask. Long. No, thank you, thank you for sharing that. And I know that there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of constraints to what you can talk about now um, um, at this stage. Sure. So thanks for sharing that. I think just in the interest of time. Um, because we're, we're right at the end. I'd love to hear just your yeah. personal journey. I, I, since we, we, we lost a few minutes, I'm happy to take a few extra if you need them. That's great. I'd love to hear about your personal journey in, um, in this category, what's, what's driving you, what's your time horizon as a leader, um, and, 
and just a little bit about the leadership culture at Health Equity. Yeah. Um, well, I'll start with the last part of the question, um, since it's a lot more interesting than me. <laughs> um, you know, this company, this company is, has a, a very, um, I think, unusual and valuable approach to culture, and it starts uh, from the company's founder, Steve Nealman, who's you know remains my partner in leading the business. Um, Steve uh, uh, is an unusual guy. He was a physician, uh, actually an ER doctor, trauma surgeon, and uh, is also uh, in the in the tradition of very entrepreneurial Utah-based families. Um, he uh, was involved uh, with his brother David in uh, um, uh, starting a couple of airlines. You don't see that combination very much of someone who, on the one hand, is in healthcare and on the other is in an extremely consumer-oriented business. You know, one that lives and dies by pennies and whether the consumer's experience is, you know, only is slightly better than it is on the next airline. And that's really what Steve brought into the company was a view that um, uh, uh, healthcare uh, would be uh, that the, the, the consumer's role, just as the consumer's role in the airline industry is to push the industry towards lower cost and higher value, that we could be in the same place in healthcare. And um, uh, he concluded very early on, uh, being uh, notwithstanding being a surgeon and a you know good-looking guy and all that, is a, a very humble guy, and and really concluded very on early on that the culture he wanted to build was one. With, with two pillars, the first being uh, um, uh, what uh, 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 Jim Collins in Good to Great calls, calls service leadership or level five leadership, where you know, we as leaders are about helping our team members succeed. And the second is what we internally call purple, which is borrowed from Seth Godin's Purple Cow, and that's about being remarkable not only to our customers but to each other. And those are the pillars on which this culture has been built over time. And I, I don't, I never want to be too, you know, you can get arrogant about your own culture, but it is a great place to work and a great place to be part of the team in that people care about each other. Um, they care about the customer outcomes. Um, uh, uh, they um, uh, are, are able to celebrate success in modest ways. And they understand that a big part, of, given that it is a long-term journey, that a huge part of the success and stability of that journey is under-promising and then over-delivering. Um, that is, it, it is very difficult to run a stable organization when you don't, you, know, you set goals that are difficult to meet and then you don't meet them. Um, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a place for that, but the, the marathon isn't it. You know, the, all marathons are about setting reasonable goals, achieving them, setting the next goal, achieving them. You know, I'm going to make this, this mile. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make the next mile. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make the next mile, and I'm going to do that, and pretty soon you've won the race. And that's the way this business operates, and, the, and this commu- we think of it as a community that the community operates. So um, it's a pretty special culture, and I'm, I've been pleased to be a part of it over these years, and or ten year, more than 10 years now. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I don't know that it's for everybody, but certainly it works for us. In my uh, historical research or our, some of our historical research on our investment team here, we've found that over the very long term, let's say 20 years, um, the best or one of the best indicators of uh, 
great long-term investment returns is simply the sales growth rate. It is the engine for all the opportunities that flow financially for that organization. So a company that has 6% top-line growth over a 20-year period is unlikely to have a stock that performs much above that rate of growth. If you look yep. at a business like Starbucks, compound annual growth rate since coming public in 1992, sales growth around 22% a year, investment return around 24% a year, obviously one of the greatest performing businesses for all stakeholders uh, that's ever existed in the U.S. So how do you think about sales growth and the opportunity long-term for organic sales growth if the acquisition goes through the unified group and any other adjacent markets that are available to you? How do you think about um, top-line growth over the next 10 to 20 years? Well, I'll say the good news is we don't have to think about adjacent markets and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I'll, I'll start by saying I, I find that these sort of banker-driven discussions of, well, you know, your, your, your core market will eventually slow down, so you better do something else. I, I, I mean, the question that any manager should ask themselves is, uh, have investors asked them to play, you know, private equity, or are they supposed to be running a business that they truly understand and letting shareholders decide on those kinds of investments? That's the way we think about it. The good news is we have the luxury of thinking about it that way because of where our core market is. Let me, let me kind of break it down for you. Today, there are about 25 million health savings accounts, and those accounts have uh, roughly $55 billion in assets, give or take. Uh, I think it's 54, according to Devonier, the, the sort of scorekeeper in our industry. And um, our view is that at market maturity, um, uh, the number of accounts will a little more than double to somewhere between 50 and 60 million. And um, that's good. But <laughs> if, uh, let's say, that were a 10-year process, um, we, you know, we can all do math. And so that implies, a, you know, eight, give or take an 8% growth rate. Um, uh, that would be great. But um, but it's it's not as exciting. What's really exciting is that over uh, is that our view is also at market maturity, that that fifty odd billion in assets will be somewhere between six hundred billion and a trillion dollars. And put differently, that the average balance of an HSA instead of today being in the two thousand dollar range will be closer to fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. And um, we believe that because that's what we see with our accounts that have reached maturity and with our members who truly understand how to use this product. Um, and so uh, uh, that implies a compound rate, uh, growth rate on the asset side in the mid-20s over a 10, 15-year period. And um, uh, what's, uh, uh, as, as you know, since you've studied the company, um, uh, our revenue, uh, our ultimate revenue or sales growth is driven in part by accounts, but ultimately largely by the volume of assets in those accounts. Mm -hmm. Uh, in some ways, we're asset managers, mm -hmm. just like uh, every uh, reader of The Motley Fool. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, and and so, you know, more assets uh, uh, is uh, is good. And um, uh, so our, our basic view is that there is a long runway of growth available to us um, in a market that, um, uh, you know, will ultimately consolidate into a smaller number of players. Mm -hmm. And everything we do is about uh, capturing as much of that growth as we can and about uh, moving forward on that journey and promoting that journey for our own benefit and that of the entire industry and ultimately, we think, uh, the entire healthcare system. So uh, we're in a very fortunate position in that we don't feel that we need to 
talk or think that much about product adjacency. We think of everything we do in terms of of uh, feeding that HSA core that we see as being a source of growth for years to come. I think let's end it there, John. Thank you so much. Uh, I re- really uh, loved hearing your perspective. Um, I, I also, for your business, love the comparison to the index fund and the super long-term journey. Thank you. And I view what you're doing as every bit as important or more important than what the index fund created. And I don't say that lightly. Obviously, the index fund is is an unbelievable gift to the world. Um, in the world of finance and um, in the in the world of you know health health management and the financial side of our our lives, I noted in the conversation you had with Brian Froldi, you're saying like this is killing the opportunity for people to save money. And uh, if we if we don't get this right, it's um, so it's it's a crucially important uh, goal that you all are uh, working towards. And thank you very much for uh, sharing your thoughts. And if you're ever in the D.C. area, please come by Fool Headquarters. We'd love to. Uh, have lunch and and have you meet our analysts. So thanks so oh, much. I'd for, love to. Thank you. Right on. I I uh, I, I you know they 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 only let me into D.C. every now and again because I cause <laughs> trouble. But I I am on the I I do sit on a board uh, that meets uh, twice a year in D.C. So I, I'll I'll make a point of it. That'd be great. Excellent. And and thank you to the whole team there. And uh, enjoy the rest of the week. Thank you. Thanks to John Kessler for joining Tom and I to learn more about the business. We hope you enjoyed the interview and access to an incredible company and an incredible CEO. And that'll do it for this week's Industry Focus Healthcare Show. Thanks so much for tuning in. And as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is being mixed by Austin Morgan. For Tom Gardner, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on. Mm-hmm.